0: This week, a U of M professor travels the state to learn more about the impact of Alzheimer's on Minnesotans, the John Beargrey Sled Dog Marathon, and new twins manager Rocco Baldelli. But first, it was busy at the state capitol during the second full week of the 2019 legislative session, and MN's Bill Werner has a recap of the major issues which run the gamut.
1: Will you- Unborn
2: children.
3: Hundreds on the steps of the Minnesota Capitol this week, marking the 46th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade U.S. Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion. Pro-life groups will try again this year for a state law giving a woman the option to see the results of an ultrasound before having an abortion. Colleen Tronson from Crystal says she had three abortions, which she now regrets, and supports that bill.
0: You can't deny life in the womb is a life when you see arms and legs. It's true, and if we can shed some light on that, it can give women pause to think about their decisions.
3: Opponents of that measure say it intimidates women and effectively restricts access to abortion. Scott Fishbach, with Minnesota Citizens Concerned for Life, says the bill will for sure pass the Minnesota Senate, possibly the House, and they want to see what Minnesota's new governor, Tim Walz, will do.
4: Obviously, we don't believe that he's with us, but because it is such a mainstream proposal, we'd like for him to take a look at it as well.
3: Last year, then, Governor Mark Dayton vetoed a bill passed by the Republican-controlled legislature. Bills banning cell phone use while driving, except in hands-free mode, cleared their first committees in both the Minnesota House and Senate this week following emotional testimony. Danielle Wishard-Tudor told lawmakers,
1: My brother died in his own lane, being a responsible driver looking in front of him. He braked, he veered to the right, he couldn't get away at someone coming into him because they crossed all the way over because they were so distracted.
3: Alanita Maurer was injured in a crash that killed her father and 10-year-old sister in Sauk Rapids in 2015.
5: My dad never got to see me graduate. He didn't get to help me move into my first apartment, and he didn't get to see me start college. He won't get to walk me down the aisle, and he won't meet his grandkids.
3: Backers have pushed for hands-free cell phone legislation for years, but this session, it might have its best chance ever. I do believe that there will be a vote on distracted driving uh, earlier than later. That's Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka. The Senate bill apparently does not go as far as its author would like. Hutchinson Republican Scott Newman says it would still allow listening to audio and using GPS. Now I will tell you personally, I would ban that. Because I don't see any difference between using your phone to look up an address or dial up the use of your phone for GPS purposes. But Newman says when he has proposed that previously, it's been met with strong opposition. Another bill moving forward in the Minnesota Senate would increase penalties if a driver using a cell phone caused a crash resulting in injury or death. Tom Getz lost his daughter, Megan, in 2017.
2: She had a three-year-old daughter, my granddaughter, who has to grow up now without a mama because of a distracted driver. She was also pregnant at the time of the crash, and I lost a grandson.
3: It's time for us to get some some teeth into the law. It's time for us as a state to say, you need to put the phone down. Republican Senator Dave Osmick. And as the federal government shutdown ticked past the one-month mark... We cannot
1: start to negotiate immigration policies or further protection of our borders unless we open the government first.
3: 5th District Democratic Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. First District Republican Congressman Jim Hagedorn says...
4: I think the negotiations have to be between the president and then the leaders here in Congress, and then a proposal has to be put out there that we can vote on to, to reopen the government. And so far, that hasn't happened.
3: Seventh District Congressman Democrat Colin Peterson said this week the way to end what he calls an unnecessary government shutdown is... Give Trump the money. Well, I'd give him the whole thing that, you know, that he wants and put strings on it so that he, you make sure that he puts the... the... The wall where it needs to be. I mean, why are we fighting over this? I mean, it's, uh, you know, we're going to build that wall anyway at some time. I don't know that I want to give him a blank check, but I don't want to preclude him for getting the money either if, you know, if if he's going to use the money correctly. You know, and we get the other stuff that we need on the border. Governor Tim Walls this week heard from residents of Section 8 low income housing who are worried they'll lose their subsidies if the federal shutdown continues.
1: And if our housing goes up, there's a lot of us that won't be able to make, make the money, the payments. And groceries are going up. Everything's going up, but our money is going down. Are you going to evict me? I've been losing sleep. I just, I want to know if that's what I have to worry about.
3: That's Buffy Beronic with the Southeast Minnesota Multi-County HRA who told about a call she got last week. Baronic said to the governor, we need your help.
1: We can carry this for a very short period of time. We don't have the cash reserves to take... This on for months. We will be in crisis mode come March first.
6: Governor Wall says we're starting to get a clearer picture now of what will happen as we're getting closer to it. Uh, that picture is bleak. Uh, it is uh, cruel. Uh, it will cause real pain and uh, real disruption to uh, to many many Minnesotans. And so I think that's right that the we're we're planning on uh, that those decisions need to be made and those trigger points will be in in early February. Governor,
3: you've thrown out s- some numbers. If the state needs to start plugging the gap for a month or two, starting, say, March 1st, I think is right, Yeah. do, do you have an idea? Are we looking at, I don't know, half a billion dollars in terms of initially coming out of the shooter? Yeah. do you have any
6: idea yet? Oh, no. We don't have the exact number yet, but it, it is fairly substantial. We have programs that are operating on moving and floating money, and uh, it, it's substantial because the federal government, while this is a partial government shutdown, which I think is the worst misnomer in the history of the world, um, it, it's like having one broad. Broken arm and that makes it okay uh, that affects everything else we do but it's about a billion dollars a month that comes to us and how much of those are disrupted and how they interact with one another isn't quite certain so we're simultaneously we're meeting about eight hours a day on on regular budget planning and with all of our commissioners and um, the folks involved we're, we're doing about the same now on supplemental side of things of what it's going to take and we have general counsel exploring what it's going to take for emergency appropriation.
3: That's Governor Tim Walls. and Scott we all know there are a lot of monkey wrenches that can get thrown into the machinery at the state capitol as lawmakers set the budget and if the federal government shutdown continues much longer that could end up being a really big
0: gear grinder. And of course we'll all stay tuned to see where that goes. Thank you for that report Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
2: Who might you save?
5: Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, and son.
2: Learn fast. F-A-S-T. The sudden signs of a stroke and you could save.
5: Your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach.
2: F face drooping. A arm weakness. S speech difficulty. T time to call 911. F-A-S-T. Face arm speech time. That's F face drooping. A arm weakness. S speech difficulty. T time to call 911 the sooner they get to the hospital the sooner they'll get treatment and that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of
5: your neighbor the waiter a fellow shopper a total stranger grandmother grandfather
2: so learn FAST the sudden signs of a stroke then pass it on because you never know who might save you
5: your wife your colleague teammate
2: Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. A University of Minnesota professor has begun a tour of the state meeting families to talk about the impact of Alzheimer's disease. It's a devastating disease that affects more Minnesotans than you may have thought, Here's my conversation with Dr. Joe Goggler on why he's reaching out to Minnesotans and what he hopes to learn on his trek through the state.
4: Alzheimer's disease related dementias affect almost 100,000 Minnesotans, more specifically around 94,000. And in addition to those individuals who are living with memory loss, there are close to a quarter million people who are providing unpaid care to those individuals. And uh, through a lot of our research that we've done where we focus on providing support um, and, and developing innovative programs for people with dementia and their family caregivers, we find that oftentimes many families don't necessarily know about not only the disease and the disease course itself and what to expect, but also about some of the resources that are available to potentially help support them. So really the goal of this tour was to reach Out throughout the state to really talk to families, learn more about their experiences, and then share some of our insights as well. This helps not only, I believe, the attendees, but certainly helps us as researchers too as we get a better sense of what are some of the real-world, day-to-day challenges that families and people with memory loss are experiencing, and that helps us better tailor our research to meet those needs.
0: And what is some of the specific feedback that you're getting from families throughout the state in terms of what they're facing?
4: Well, I think a lot of it is, again, oftentimes very basic core questions about, you know, what is Alzheimer's disease? How is it different from dementia? Um, how is it diagnosed? What do we know about what could potentially prevent dementia? Um, what can I do as, say, either a care professional or family member or even a person living with memory loss themselves? And, uh, you know, how can I exert control over this? And, uh From there, we then can start to talk a little bit about what do we know in terms of where has science progressed in answering each of these different questions, and then perhaps even a more relevant way, try to identify what are some resources out there, resources even in your own community that you might not have been aware of that you could connect with to help potentially improve not just your caregiving situation, but maybe the overall quality of life of the person living with memory loss.
0: And doctor, if you don't mind, maybe if you could explain for me, uh, maybe in, in as basic terms as you can, the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia.
4: So Alzheimer's disease is a cause or type of dementia, the most prominent cause of dementia, but it's not the only, the, the only cause of dementia. What dementia is, is really a set of symptoms um, symptoms related to cognitive decline and uh, uh, also um, impairments in activities of daily living or basically one's abilities to live independently. So that's dementia, and many things can cause dementia itself. Uh, Again, the most common cause of it is Alzheimer's disease, Alzheimer's being defined really at a neuropathological level of amyloid plaques and neurofibrillary tangles. But there are other causes of dementia too, frontotemporal dementia, Lewy body dementia, Parkinson's. There's many others as well. So, again, Alzheimer's disease is a type of dementia. Some people call it a cause of dementia, but it's not the only one. So that's usually a good, you know, question and a kind of a, an initial question a lot of people have because sometimes they might have been told that their loved one has dementia. But as one maybe does a little bit more research on their own, they may find that, you know, that might not be sufficient to really understand what's going on.
0: Doctor, I'm imagining as you go throughout the state here, obviously this is something you've talked about, how this impacts families and loved ones. This has to be, I would think, a very emotional situation for the people that you're talking to. Um, what kind of advice do you have for families as far as sort of getting past that emotion to take care of what needs to be taken care of?
4: Well, I'd Probably the first thing is is you are not alone in this experience. There are many, many other people um, that are going have gone through this or are going through this right now, and there's no shame in connecting with those people in various ways to get a better grasp or handle on one's own situation um, now, whether that happens through more informal ways, say connecting through a church community center program or whether it is engaging with organizations like the Alzheimer's Association, perhaps a local area agency on aging to connect with the many family caregiving support education and support and education programs that they may be offering too. Um, And it's very much a process. You know, it's not enough to simply go out there and say to somebody who is having an emotionally difficult time with a loved one's memory loss that you need to do this or you need to call this person. It's usually not sufficient. And so what really this tour does is it it hopefully gives people a comfortable place to come to learn more, connect with us at the University of Minnesota, and uh, slowly learn about, if that's what people want to do, learn, um, you know, gradually about what are the resources out there, and what can I utilize that best meets the needs of my particular situation. It's really a process. It's a partnership. I, li- I, I like to think of it, and it's something that we hopefully can establish over time.
0: And, Doctor, if we do have listeners out there who maybe are wondering where to start or where to take that first step, who are looking for resources, where would you direct them?
4: Yeah, I would start right off the bat is contacting the Senior Linkage Line. Um, it is a toll-free uh, telephone number, and uh that, is, that will connect you to your local area agency on aging.
0: Thank you to my guest, U of M professor, Dr. Joe Gogler. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The 35th annual John Bear Greece Sled Dog Marathon kicks off Sunday. Tasha Radel has more.
5: Thanks, Scott. Joining me now is Monica Hendrickson, spokesperson for the John Bear Grease Sled Dog Marathon. Welcome, Monica. How are you doing today? Good morning. I'm doing great. A little tired, but we're doing great. Well, I can't believe the race is already here. It's an exciting time uh, for Minnesota. And before we dive into this year's race, can you give us some background uh, on the marathon?
1: Yeah, so the, the race has been around for 35 years, and it's, it's named after John Bear Grease, who he was a mail carrier up in the Grand Portage tribal area um, for years, and, and he delivered mail by sled um, throughout uh, Cook County and down into Lake County. And so the race is really in honor of John Bear Grease and, and all that he did to kind of keep the communications going and, and kind of keeping the tradition alive for him.
5: When we talk about the race, which kicks off on Sunday, I understand uh, this year is going to be a bit shorter. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So this year, um, typically the the marathon has been about 425 miles. Um, every year after our race, we have what's called a, a driver meeting, and so that's where the mushers are giving really honest feedback about the length of the race, the course, where there problems. Um, and the last two years, we've been hearing from a lot of mushers because the snow conditions you know, aren't optimal to be training their dogs um, early in the season, it's really hard for them to get enough miles. Um, and so they, they asked, you know, is there a way that we can get the race shortened? And, you know, we were, we always want to listen to our mushers, because if you don't have mushers, you don't have a race. And, um, but one of the things for our race is we are a qualifier race for the Iditarod, because we are the longest sled dog marathon in the lower 48. Um, and so we contacted Iditarod, and they had agreed, you know, 300 miles plus an unassisted checkpoint that really is a good gauge to make sure that a musher is you know, still gonna be okay to run the Iditarod. So, so we decided we were gonna shorten it and we've had, we've had a great response. Um, again, there was very little snow in a lot of the areas that, that mushers live in. So um, a lot of people decided not to race the bear grease just because of, of snow but they weren't able to train. So, But we still have a really strong group. We have a lot of people that used to race our, our Bear Grease 120, the mid-distance, have moved up to the marathon now. So we're starting to see mushers kind of jockey between races, and, and it's going to be a great year. We we have some new some rookies to Bear Grease, so it's going to be fun to be able to see what they can do on our course.
5: And when we talk about the course, I understand that it kicks off uh, just outside of Duluth. Is that right?
1: Correct. Correct. Um, we start up on Jean Duluth and North Tisher road. So it kind of is a higher elevation, which means that we have enough snowpack almost always up there. And so we start at Billy's bar, which is typically where we end our race. So, so we're starting where we finish. And then we're going to go 300 miles through St. Louis County, Lake County and Cook County. And we'll end up in Grand Portage, uh, Lodge and Casino, just a little bit, um, south of the Canadian border.
5: And do you encourage folks to come out and watch the mushers?
1: Yes, we love our race fans, and the mushers do too. They love, they love seeing all the excitement at the start, especially um, we have a lot of people that follow the race from beginning to end. We have, we have folks that take a week of vacation and they come up for all the pre-race activities and they stay to the bitter end. Um, yes, it's cold, but you know, watching teams come across the trails, you know, when it's it's a serene morning on the North Shore or the evening running, we run throughout the night. Um, so it's, it's something that you can't see anywhere. You know, it's, it's not something that you can go to any community and see a dog sledding race. And I think that's what makes it unique for our state.
5: And when we talk about the mushers, uh, are, they, are they going around the clock? I guess, do they stay outside or how does that work? Or do they get a hotel for the night?
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question. So our mushers, we have 24 hours of mandatory rest. So we, we mandate as a race that our marathon mushers have to rest for 24 hours. We give them a couple. We have four hours where we make them all rest at the same point um, within the race. And But other than that, it's a game of strategy. So So mushing is very strategic. So you have a lot of mushers who will – Um, race really hard and try to get ahead of everyone and then do more rest towards the end of the race. Um, Or you have some that will rest early and then just run really hard for the last 100 miles. Um, But when the mushers are, when when the dogs are bedded down, we have teams actually going out right now that are, you know, putting down the straw and the beds for all of the, the dogs that are coming into the checkpoints. So while the the handler teams are taking care of the dogs and keeping them, you know, warm and getting them bedded down and fed, the mushers are, you know, checking gear and making sure their dogs are okay, working with our vet team to make sure every dog is okay. We have 22 vets that are working with each of them. Um, And then they'll get a few few hours of shut-eye wherever they can. It might be in the back of their sled. Um, It might be in their vehicle. A lot of them lay down next to their dogs. a lot of them say their adrenaline's going so fast that you know they're they're just excited about what they're doing and they're really they live in that moment and so they're not sleeping in a hotel, you know they're eating on the trail they they all have they have a lot of dehydrated food that they just have to add hot water to, um, which we have at the checkpoint so it's it's very much kind of like a long winter camping
5: experience. Thanks again to my guest, Monica Hendrickson, spokesperson for the John Bear Grease Sled Dog Marathon, which kicks off this Sunday just outside of Duluth. Back to you, Scott.
0: Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this. We asked kids what it took to be a dad. This is what they had to say. A father is always present. I mean, what father, what real father figure can you have if they're not there? In order to be a good dad, you need to love, love your son. You need to put gas in your car so you don't break down in the middle of nowhere. And you need to make some breakfast. Yep. I mean, just to maybe um, play, like, a board game with me or to just stay home and play um, some video games with me. Just to do, like, that one little thing is what I really look forward to. I'm not asking him to be a perfect dad, but he should try. He's just a constant force in my life. There's no other type of love like a dad's love because it's not comparable to anything else. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota Twins just completed their 59th annual winter caravan across Minnesota, Iowa, North Dakota, and South Dakota. The two-week track included stops in more than 40 communities. Twins Radio Network host Chris Atteberry sat down with new Twins manager Rocco Baldelli during the trip. Let's listen in on Minnesota Matters.
7: Rocco, you've said it at several of our stops already, but it's hard really to conceptualize what this caravan is all about spatially and also in terms of kind of the spirit of the the events that we attend. Have you been able to put your your brain around it, your arms around it after two days?
8: Yeah, I'm starting to see it because uh, I'm actually going through it. This is not – it's kind of special. It's kind of the way that I'm – thinking about it, there's probably not too many experiences these days in, in Major League Baseball that are similar to it, and when you actually get out, and you get on the bus, and you're you're heading around the state and, and around Twins territory, and and seeing the people come out in the middle of winter to come support the team and just to come say hello, it's a very, very cool experience and uh, something I'm very proud to be a part of.
7: I've been on a lot of these caravans, and when the manager is on the caravan, you always wonder, you know, is know, going act differently, especially when it's a new manager? But I think one of your great strengths has been that it seems like a very natural situation uh, between you and and Eddie and Jose. Is, I don't think that's manufactured. Is that just who you are?
8: Yeah, I think I, – I mean, truthfully, I think anyone is is – their best when they can just be themselves and i don't want any of our players to try to be someone who they aren't i want them to show up every day and be about as comfortable as as they can possibly be so that when they go on the field they can relax and go do their thing i think it starts today it starts during twins fest uh it starts when we get to fort myers i mean we're just kind of laying the groundwork now but that's that's the kind of personality that i'd love for the team to have and you know, we're, we're going to build our, our own personality going forward. Um, but I want it to be genuine and I want it to be who these guys are.
7: Are you a note taker? Are you a guy who, as you're sitting on the dais and somebody says something or you're, you hear Eddie or Jose something, you think, oh boy, that's something I might want to pursue. Are you a guy who, who jots down mental notes to yourself or it kind of circles back around to, to get them as you're observing and you're listening?
8: Occasionally. I think more than anything else, you're just trying to get a great feel for, for who everybody is and what they're about. Things that I do want to remember, I do have my, my notepad in my bag that, uh, that I've had going the entire offseason because there is a lot going on. There's a lot of change and a lot of new things to prepare for. But um, you know, over the course of this caravan especially, I think it's more about the experiences and just getting a chance to spend the time with everyone on the bus.
7: We've got a couple more days here on Caravan, and we're going to do some cool things. We're going to meet a lot more people, including uh, tonight. We're going to do some curling. Now, you've already been on the ice once with the ice fishing. Have you ever curled? Uh, are you intrigued by curling, and are you terrified to watch your starting left fielder curl?
8: I watch it every Olympics, and uh, I am I terrified? No, but if he decides not to curl, I'm going to be perfectly okay with that. He can leave the curling to uh, Atterbury and Baldelli and let us uh, go out there and and give it a go. But I think it'll be really really fun, really cool. We had a great time during uh, the uh, ice fishing tournament getting out there. It was something that uh, I've always kind of been a little bit intrigued by. It was a little cold. I'm not going to complain and say it was too bad. But uh, it was a great time, and the kids especially seemed like they were having fun. But I'm ready for some curling.
7: It's funny, you did come away with a nice fishing uh, jigging rod. So you've got the gear now so that you can get out on the lake whenever, whenever you need to. I don't think you're going to have time to do a Twins Fest, uh, because you are going to get pulled in about eight billion different directions. Have you had to sit down and prioritize, okay, I haven't met these guys in person yet. I need time with them. We need the staff all together. We need, have you, have you had a chance to try to, to get those in order to ensure that you are as efficient and as effective as you can be.
8: Yeah, I think taking advantage of the time that we have here is important because it's not it's not always something that we get to do, getting a chance to spend time with each other in the offseason. So Twins Fest, you know, in addition to all of the activities that we take part in, is great for the staff and great for the players to get together. Do you have to prioritize your time? For sure. Uh, you definitely do that. I've had a lot of help. Um, Derek Shelton, the guys in the office as well, they, they, they've all done a wonderful job of helping me out to organize everything, making sure that everyone is available to meet. So, yeah, the, and there's only so much you're going to get done in a given day, but you just try to maximize it every way you can.
7: Now, Twins Fest is going to be an interesting couple of days, and then obviously spring training is literally just around the corner for you. Uh, and I know you're kind of trying to slow everything down, but when we finally get to questions not about processes and not about structure but about the actual game like when you get tossed a question out of the, out of the audience that's actually about What's going on between the lines? Does that kind of make you uh,
8: make you smile a little bit? Yeah, it's a little bit of a relief because you know you know you can only plan and get so much accomplished over the phone or at home uh, during the off season. No matter how many hours that you spend uh, looking at the computer or, or even talking on the phone, you really want to get down to spring training. You want to start talking about specifics with guys and start actually you know getting down to the nitty gritty and spending time working with the players. I mean that's that's what it's all about. And those are the questions that that are those are more more fun to, to respond to than uh, you know, all the hypotheticals of the offseason. That's
0: Twins Radio Network anchor Chris Atteberry and new Twins manager Rocco Baldelli. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.